right, all right, here we go. It's episode 38 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm your host, Slippy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SlippyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mac Rivers. You guys can always get us at pregame.com. All right, guys, here we go. We got Monday Night Recap, and we have our Tuesday games that Mackenzie and I are going to go ahead and get into, and we'll also go ahead. We'll cover the Wednesday games as well. Mackenzie, uh, our last podcast did really well, went ahead. I think we went 5-1 and one on all the wagers that we gave out. Hit a couple best bets there and some player props. So I'm hoping we can go ahead and duplicate that effort again. I do want to go ahead. I want to start out here, Mackenzie. Tuesday night, 76ers at the Heat. This series now tied up. Joel Embiid's back. James Harden broke out. Right now, the Miami Heat going to be minus three at home. We have a total of 209 and a half. Not sure if you like anything in this one there, Mac. Why don't you go ahead and break it down for me, 76ers and the Heat. I had this in my write-up on, uh, I know this was your game of the year, but I liked it too on Sunday. It was a pretty simple handicap. Embiid makes all the difference. Uh, When you have an MVP level caliber player, there's just a calmness. There's an organization Doc Rivers talked about that comes with having that center of force, that gravity in the middle. Even if he only has 24 points and 11 rebounds, it makes all the difference. So without Embiid this year, 6-10 and 10, the Sixers. With them, they're covering more than half their games. They're winning 70% of their games. With him on the court, they're 11 points better, 7 points better on offense, 4 points better on defense. So I think we throw the first two games out. I think largely, I mean, they were competitive through about three quarters, but the Heat pulled away. When you don't have that anchor, when you don't have that we go to this guy to get a stop or get a bucket in a big moment, whether it's in the third quarter or early in the fourth, you see it. You see the effect, the confidence just drained out of the team. And that's why they looked like sixes and sevens. They look raggedy in Miami without Embiid. In Philly, with Embiid, they look like the better team. And if you would have asked me two weeks ago, Philly or Miami, who's the better team? If you would have asked me a month ago, a month and a half ago, when Harden had just gotten to Philadelphia, I'd say, you know, the Heat are a better run team. They probably have a better coach, maybe more of a cohesive unit, but they're not the better team. You know, Embiid is is a tier above Jimmy Butler, and then Batam Adebayo, maybe he's better than Harden at this point, maybe not, a lot more flexibility with offense. And then you just go down the line. Tobias Harris is a max-level guy. And then you have Tyler Hero, who's, you know, a hot shooter off the bench. Tyrese Maxey's probably like, you know, a Jordan Poole light, a guy that came up out of nowhere and scoring 20 points a game in the playoffs and doesn't look like slowing down. And the Heat, especially with Lowry struggling, 20% shooting since coming back from the hamstring, only scoring three points a game through two games. I think the Sixers are the better team. I think they've realized it. And if you look at the shot quality, this I think this is telling. The shot quality that these two, two teams have had, the Sixers have had the better shots each and every game, 4-0 and this series. Okay, well, they've got blown out games one and two. What good is that? I think that's explainable. I think when you get good shots, but you, you're giving them to players that aren't necessarily used to taking as many or having such a prominent role, or whether you're James Harden that's not used to having to carry a team in the second half with his hamstring issues and his conditioning issues, he wasn't up for that moment. With Embiid, with that, that anchor again, Harden had the biggest fourth quarter that he's had in a couple months. 16 points, he broke out. Because when you don't have to, you're able to, in an ironic way. When you know you have limitations, which Harden and the rest of the Sixers have without Embiid, much less so with Embiid. So I think I think this is a Sixers series. They're slight underdogs right now, but I think they I think they're more than 50% to end up winning this series. 
they got to find somebody besides Jimmy Butler. He had, what, 40 in the last game, 33, 22, and 15. His points are going up, 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 but now they're losing back-to-back games. And as you said, a lot of that comes down to, you know, Joel Embiid being on the floor. He opens up so much for everybody else. But, Mac, I kind of think like Philly in a sense, they kind of remind me of, let's say, like a North Carolina, a Duke, a Kentucky, where they get stronger as the games go on. Players start to mature. They start to develop. They, they know where their role is at. And a guy like Harden broke out. That's not a good thing for anybody. I mean, everybody's been kind of waiting for it, wondering if we were ever going to see it. And Bede, I don't want to say he's healthy, but he looks pretty good as well. I feel like they're just hitting their stride right now. And, you know, you mentioned Harris. You mentioned Maxi. You know, they're like four deep. And I can't think of any other team in the league except the Golden State Warriors that are really four deep where you have four guys that, you know, legit can play in an all-star game. Well, Philly has that. As far as, as Miami's concerned right now, they have one, and it's Jimmy Butler, and you can't just rely on one guy. At some point, Philly's going to go, We if we can stop Butler in this game, there is no way that Miami beats us. So I think Philly, they look to double him. They look to go ahead and throw everything they can at Jimmy Butler, and they're going to have to have guys like Max Struess has been struggling, beat them. Uh, Kyle Lowry, who is basically, you know, operating on one leg right now, beat them. Uh, maybe they insert Duncan Robinson. Mac, like, where is this guy at? He's a sniper from the outside. They've literally taken him out of the rotation. And now you have guys out there who are hurt. They're not hitting threes. Bam Adebayo, he, he's not able to do a whole lot with Embiid out there. It's not working out. I think Miami is going to look to really throw something crazy at Philly because if they go in Miami thinking that they can do, you know, what they did in games, you know, one through four, it's just not going to work out. I think Philly will beat them. But go back to Duncan Robinson. Like, do you have any idea where he's at, what his whole situation is? No, he's played one minute in this series. And my only conclusion is that Eric Spolster, a smart guy, is looking at these guys in practice and said, Victor Oladipo, former all-star, offense, defense. I got to go with one of these guys because – What's funny is because you can have too many guys, and we'll talk about the Grizzlies later, but I sincerely think that there's such a thing as addition by subtraction, in this case, subtraction by addition. You bring in Oladipo and you have Duncan Robinson, a guy who for his career is hitting 40% of his threes, not play. Okay, and then you bring that guy in for four or five minutes in the fourth quarter. Eric Spolster doesn't think it's going to work. He doesn't think he'll get that you know three for three performance that's going to change a game. He thinks he's more likely to get burnt on defense and then go 0 for 2 and have to be subbed out. So he's skipping that step. He says, Victor Oladipo, I'm rolling with Duncan Robinson not playing at all. You talk about Jimmy Butler being the one guy that stepped up, and he did 40 points on 20 shots. He's the only reason that game was close all the way into the fourth quarter. Considering that, considering that Butler has been the playoff performer, it was his fourth 40-point game in 40 games for the Heat. By the way, he's had 170 regular season games, never scored 40 with the Heat. 33, exactly, 33 playoff games with the Heat, his fourth playoff 40-point game. It shows that he's a primetime player, but that shines the spotlight at Bam Adebayo, who it might not be his series. What's ironic is in the Hawks series, he looked like a man possessed. He looks like the perfect modern center. And in the first two games of the Sixers series, he looked like the perfect modern center where you can have him on Harden, you can have him on Harris. He's the best defender, pop probably, for either scenario. That's why Embiid makes all the difference. He's playing at a bio off the floor where he's having to front him like he's a small guy, but then if he gets him in the post, he can't guard him one-on-one. It's a bad matchup for him. He's like a 6'8", you know, Draymond style, maybe a little bit uh, 
or maybe as good defensively, but not a guy that's going to stick on the back of Embiid and be a problem. So they're going to ha- they're having to double anyway, even with the defensive player of the year candidate. And they don't have the offense. They don't have the shooters. They don't have the firepower, like you said, in my opinion, uh, to stick with them if they can't guard Embiid one-on-one. You know, one of the things I saw today, Mac, and I normally would never do this, and I and I know that you wouldn't do it either, and that's watch, you know, the the, the first takes or, you know, the Colin Cowards of the world and listen to them and take their opinions. But I will go ahead and I will say this, and I don't know if you saw this today, but this was on first take, and this was J.J. Redick. Uh, he was talking. He's a guy who's kind of brutally honest. He's going to tell you the way that it is because he understands the game, you know, at a super high level, way better than you and I, and probably better than, you know, 95% of the people that are on there in the media. And he was talking about what Philadelphia was doing. And I don't want to get into, you know, everything that he was talking about, but he liked Miami going into this series. And, you know, Miami was the number one seed. They went through and they blazed through Atlanta. And I think that, you know, the way that Philly kind of looked, kind of had a lot of people looking at Miami like they were just the better team. And the odds makers kind of fell into that. And I was pounding my fist, Max, saying, this line's wrong. This line's wrong. And beat is... He, he changes everything. A lot of things just didn't make sense line-wise to me. I think Philly is the far better team, to be honest with you. But what J.J. Redick did, he actually said, I am switching my opinion. I'm not going with the Heat anymore. This series is now tied up 2-2. He said Philadelphia is the better team. They have the momentum in this series right now. Just the fact that somebody on one of the talk shows who we rarely go ahead and take, um, you know, take advice from, I kind of felt really strong when I saw somebody like Redick go ahead and switch his opinion. That's funny because he's like the opposite of a talking head guy, you would think. But you see so often, in my opinion, uh, people like regress to the mean of hot takery, uh, even though they have, you know, J.J. Redick, smart guy, Duke guy in the NBA, probably knows, like you said, not better than 95% of the media, probably better than 99.9% of the media and even 95% of his fellow players. He probably is tuned in as a veteran, uh, you know, to that degree. But usually you see Richard Jefferson's Kendrick Perkins is to name a few. They go to the they go to the lowest common denominator and they'll have a hot take that they won't waver from because in this culture it's easier to argue vehemently about something you think may be wrong, even though the facts have changed, than it is to have a nuanced conversation where you're changing pieces. JJ Reddick's a rising star. He is his own podcast and he has his own uh his own his own sense about him. I'd like to see him on these shows. He's a breath of fresh air, in my opinion. I agree. And I think the fact that he is kind of brand new out there, Mac, that he's trying to go ahead and give his, you know, honest take. And when I see a guy like that go ahead and give an honest take, um, I do have to put some stock into it. Now, we talked a lot about MB. We talked a lot about Harden. Now, one thing I do want to go ahead and, and kind of bring up here, Mac, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but, you know, everybody's talking about MB did not win the MVP. He's going to come in here like a man possessed. And James Harden had his big breakout game. And I'm looking at the uh, the player props for both of these guys. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, uh, boy, you know, a lot of people, they might go attack Harden. Or a lot of people might buy into that MVP thing and, and attack Embiid. I would say let's not attack either. Because both of those guys can cancel each other out. In my opinion, Mac, I think it's kind of a 50-50 proposition for each guy. I don't see a plus EV wager because I feel like maybe Harden goes out and takes those a couple extra shots and hurts Joel. And maybe Embiid you know, takes his couple extra shots because of the MVP thing, and he hurts Harden a little bit. So what I'm doing is I'm recommending here, Mac, stay away from both guys in this game. Let's not play a player prop on either of those two guys because they can go off, but I think they can cancel each other out. And at best case, if you bet them both, I feel like your best is just a split. 
So I'm going to recommend we go, we stay away from those player props for this game. I think that's a safe thing to do. And I could honestly see maybe somebody like Maxi going out and uh, going for 25 and, and both guys not getting there. So I'm going to recommend that. That's my one recommendation for this game that I like quite a bit. I agree with you. And I've heard this today. Jokic won the MVP. Embiid was second in line to be MVP. He was the second favorite. Embiid's going to be mad. Embiid's going to score more than 25 and a half points. Okay, Embiid might score more than 25 and a half points. It's a pretty low number, but he's, you know, obviously been hobbled, only taking about 13, 14 shots a game. So it's matter-of-factly reduced. But we saw this in the Bucks game today, Monday night versus the Celtics. Giannis was was dunked on and it was it was a moment I don't think I've uh exclaimed at a TV uh as loudly as when Al Horford drove the lane and dunked on Giannis Antetokounmpo he kind of threw an elbow afterwards he got teed up but it might have been worth it to emphasize the moment all right if this was a regular season game Giannis had about 32 points at this point there is no chance that Giannis doesn't take the rest of the game win or lose and go directly to the rim directly at Al Horford and make a point Giannis is good at making points. He once put the you know the crown on his head to show that he had arrived. None of that. He didn't shoot a lot. He didn't shoot the next possession or two possessions. He had a good pass to Brook Lopez down low, but he wasn't wrapped up in this uh, in this one on one beef because the NBA playoffs it's your whole season. Giannis Giannis knows if he would have lost Game Three against the Nets or Game Four last year in the playoffs, they wouldn't be having that parade in June, or I guess it was July last year, down Milwaukee. That is everything. So I think there's so much that goes into this, so many calculations. If you think a personal grudge, like Embiid wanting to be the MVP but not getting it, I mean, there's a lot of tape. There's a lot of hours they're watching film. They're looking for little advantages. They're not going to make big mistakes or big changes in the game plan to, to go after narratives, in my opinion. I think these guys care too much about winning. I mean, Embiid was crying. Game seven versus the Raptors, when Kawhi Hinted lit that shot, he lives and die with this stuff, which I love to see from the best players in the sport. And you mentioned they might cancel each other out. I found it interesting that Harden had a 20 and a half prop over under points prop in game four. He goes off 31 points. The first time he scored more than 25 in 16 games, first time since March, he had a 25 point game or let alone a 30 point game. All right, big number. I guess Harden's back. Let's look at his point total. It's 20 and a half. Because Embiid is getting healthier. He's going to take more minutes, more shots. And on the other hand, Embiid's didn't change. Because, yeah, Embiid's getting healthier. He's going to take more shots. But suddenly Harden's a bigger slice of the pie. And like you said, Tyrese Maxey and Harris are always there. So I think at this point, even though Embiid makes the difference, I think their offense is strength in numbers. And I would uh, I would be cautious about going after any of these overs because I'm not sure – which, which one of these guys is going to step up? I think it's probably going to be a committee effort. And if you go look to the last game, you know, it was guys like Niang. It was guys like Danny Green. You no, know, even guy, you know, games prior to that, you know, it's the guys off the bench are helping too. You know, they're getting their, they're, they're finding their spots and they're getting their buckets. But yeah, you make a, you make a great point, Mac, that like, you know, that this is playoff basketball. This isn't, um, you know, I need to go out there and prove a point. You know, it's not a one man team. This is playoff basketball. It's a team effort. And the fact that Giannis went ahead and, you know, he didn't try to ram it down, you know, Horford's throat after he got, even after he got hit in the face with an elbow, um, it just kind of tells you that there's a different mentality there. So that's pretty good there, Mac. I don't, like I said, we don't have a whole lot on that game that we really, really love, but, you know, just a couple recommendations. Let's jump over to the nightcap. 
Uh, we have the Dallas Mavericks at Phoenix. Mavericks even it up there. They win both games at home. Phoenix going to be a six-point favorite here at home. We have a total of 213.5. Mac, you and I kind of disagree on this one. You like the Suns. I like the Mavs. And we were kind of at a standstill as we talked through this game with each other. And you kind of gave me some points. I kind of gave you my points. I'll give you. I'll give the listeners my, my strongest points here. I felt that the Dallas Mavericks were going to play far better defense, you know, when they got home. And they gave up 122 and 129 game one and two. Uh, they, they, they walk out of Phoenix with two losses. And it seems like Luka kind of got things rolling there offensively for Dallas at home. But it was really the defense that stepped up. Phoenix has struggled the last two games to go ahead and score points. I'll, I'll make this statement. This is kind of just a blanket statement. I think the Dallas Mavericks are, are the much faster team. If you look at Crowder, you look at Bridges, you look at Paul, you look at Aiton, not exactly the fastest four guys on the floor. But when I look at Dallas, they look like the faster, younger team. And I think that that may transfer over here. And I think that Dallas understands how important this game is. But, you know, as we talked about before, you know, when J.J. Redick mentioned the momentum, Dallas now has the momentum in this series. I think some people are a little concerned right now, you know, about Chris Paul and the way that he's been playing. Do I expect him to snap out of his funk at home? Sure, I do. But I just worry that six points is just a little bit too much in this type of game. So I'm going to go ahead. I'll take the Dallas plus the six points. It's just a lean right now. I don't want to go ahead and go against you for sure. We've been really good when we agree on stuff. But when we disagree on stuff, it's probably better off that I just go ahead and pass. But I do lean to the Mavericks here plus the six. You like the Suns. What are you thinking? Yeah, and I'm not probably going to play the Suns. You actually make some good points that I'm, that I'm considering that has gotten me a little less aggressive on the Suns. But here's what I'm thinking. There's so much flukiness that goes into uh, some of these games Chris Paul really didn't play poorly. I know he, you know, fouled out and had only five points, but he only got to play 20 minutes. He had seven assists, five points. He was doing fine. It was just like three consecutive, you know, marginal plays. And to be honest, they weren't, they, they were they were all probably accurate calls. They were just marginal calls, calls that you don't expect Chris Paul to stick his nose into when he doesn't have to. But if you take that out and if you just look at shooting variants and how the games went in Dallas, I, I nothing really changed my my mindset coming into this series. And I thought the Suns were four points better, should be a seven point home favorite than the Mavericks. Mavericks kind of one game, one game three fair and square, and then one game four could have gone either way, but they shot fourteen for twenty four in the first half, I believe, or at one point they were fourteen for twenty four from three, and it was still a three point game late. And Chris Paul was in it trying to get. You know, that magic, that's what they do. They're the best clutch team in the NBA. And they just not, never got the opportunity to do it. They never got the opportunity to have their two elite shot creators out there. And I think a lot of what the Mavericks' success at home did, they just got two back-to-back home wins, was Luka was Luka. Luka was shooting 10 for 25, 11 for 25. He was a little more, which we predicted when I had the Luka under 34 and a half. He was a little more of a team player. He was a little more... Uh, a distributor, but in general, it was just the Mavericks role players, the Maxi Klebas, the Jalen Brunson, just played a lot better at home. I think back in Phoenix, I think they kind of go back into be, being pumpkins again. I don't think they're guys you want to rely on in late game series. Uh, I just don't think they're prepared for it. I don't think they're ready. Whereas the two shot creators and Paul and Booker for the Suns, I trust more. So I'm probably going to lay off this game. You make some points. The Mavericks. The Mavericks have actually had the better shot quality in this series. Another reason why I'm kind of off it. They've actually been expected to score more points. But I think 
that's what I'm talking about. When you're expected to score more points, but you're shooting worse, and then you look at your players and they're all young role players that really haven't had their haven't had to made their bones yet in the playoffs, it makes sense that you're performing a little worse. I think the Suns have the veteran leadership to, as this series goes on, exert their dominance and end up winning this in six. So I, I definitely lean the Suns. I think they win this game and then the next one. One thing I want to bring up with this series is that the Suns should have a huge, huge advantage with DeAndre Ayton on offense. The Mavericks play very small and they've given up, you know, a top five number to opposing centers. But outside of game one, Ayton had 25 in game one, looked like the best player uh, in the middle, 12 for 20 shooting. He's only averaged 13 points in the three games since. Foul trouble in game two. But what do you think about Ayton? His point total right now is 17 and a half. It seems like he should be dominating. It seems like he's due for a big game. Yeah, he certainly won't buck that. And here's one of the reasons why. Go back to the Pelican series where the Pelicans ended up, you know, they snuck a couple games out. But I felt like it was like, all right, we got away from our groove. We got away from what we, what we, you know, what we like to do. And it was like old faithful, Aiton in the middle. And Dallas isn't exactly strong, you know, on the inside. I believe Powell only played like 10 minutes last game. But if you go back and you look at the games that Aiton had, you know, coming off of a loss, he went over this number against the Pelicans. And I think the fact that he hasn't contributed a whole lot in the last three games, he's gone under this number. But I expect the Suns to go back to, you know, old reliable, simple game plan, get it to Aiton, cause a lot of trouble at the rim, you know, get guys in foul trouble, get him on the free throw line, let him sink some free throws. So I'm not against that at all. I would actually look to him out of any player. I would stay away from Chris Paul. I would stay away from Luka. Uh, they jacked him up. They did bring him down a little bit, Mac. I don't know if you saw that. You know, you had the 34 and a half. I think he's down to like 33 or 32. So the books, obviously, you know, they were trying to juice you there. But I think we are getting some value here with with Aiton. So um, I'm not sure if you want to make that a bet. I have no problem with that. I like that one. You know, I'll stamp that if you want to go ahead and, and give that one out for sure. Yeah, let's make it official. And my last thought on this is Chris Paul is not going to foul out this game. DeAndre Ayton is the beneficiary of Chris Paul working the half court as much as anybody else with his pick and pops. So, I mean, especially with the, uh, you know, the extracurriculars and the the difficult situation Chris Paul was in, I feel like he gets a beneficial whistle, uh, whether that's right or not. And that means he's going to be on the court for 40 minutes. He pointed pride for Chris Paul to stay out there. And I think DeAndre Ayton benefits from that more than even Chris Paul himself with his points. I don't think he shoots a lot in this game, but I like Ayton over 17 and a half. I'll make it official. All right, so there's an official prop bet for me, McKenzie. We'll go ahead. We'll play DeAndre Ayton over 17 and a half points. All right, let's jump over to the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, currently, right now, Golden State minus three on the road and total of 219 and a half. So Golden State's going to go ahead and close out this series, and this is a worry game for me, Mac. I did not like Golden State in game. I believe it was game two, and I don't like them here either. One thing I've noticed, and I don't know if we could pull the numbers for this, Mac, and maybe you, you probably can't find them super quick, but I notice one thing with Golden State. When they're on the road and they can close out a series, it just it seems like they just don't do it. It's like, well, we'd rather just wait till, you know, wait till we get back home and, and, and close it out in front of our fans. And it seems like Golden State, a lot of the time, you know, that they have a, a closeout game five and then a closeout game six at home or a closeout game seven at home. So I don't know, man. I'm just I'm so worried about Golden State, they snuck out a win on Monday night, and it took you know Steph Curry going bonkers in the fourth quarter. But you know, even with without John Morant, I mean, you got to give Memphis credit. You know, they they play tough. 
Um, that team's not going to go away. I do not think they're going to go away at home. I would actually take the three points with Memphis if you held the gun to my head. I actually was able to pull that up while you were talking. StatMuse is a great tool. You just asked them what is the Golden State's average or road record in playoff closeout games after 2014, and they give you the list. And looking at it, it's not that stellar for a team that wins, you know, that went 16-1 and in the playoffs. During this championship run, all the way back to 2015, their last 15 road closeout games have only won nine, nine and five. So they often, not all the time, but they often have to play an extra game often back at home. I'm not surprised you found that that quick, Mac. Um, you know, some of us have like Rolodexes with people's phone numbers. Mac has one with websites for sports betting <laughs> information. You're a degenerate. It's funny, though. But you can always find you whatever you need. But I'm worried that the Warriors don't close it out on the road. That That's where I'm at right now. So I'm going to stay away from the game. And one of the other main reasons I'm staying away is, is John Morant. We don't know if he's going to play right now. So for me to go ahead and force a bet right now, you know, really late on Monday night as we are here for a game that's really late on Wednesday night, it's not going to do anybody any good. I'm staying away from the Warriors in this game. I just have a weird gut feeling like I did in, in game two. So I'm going to stay away. Not sure if you have anything on that game at all, but that's kind of where my thoughts are at right now. The only thing I really have is similar sentiments. I'll make a couple points. One is that this line is telling. Warriors minus three. Game two was Warriors minus two. So they've have they been upgraded a point? Well, he kind of really disappointed uh, in tonight's game. A lot of turnovers, a lot of missed threes. Stephen A. Smith said he'd never seen the Warriors play this bad. Steve Kerr out with COVID. Was that a factor? Uh, is that a factor that's going to go away in two days? Probably not. Uh, so I don't get the line adjustment upwards for the Warriors from minus two in game two to minus three uh, in this game five, unless John Morant has a significant uh, either he's significantly hobbled and won't be back or there's a significant chance. And I kind of think it's the latter. There's a decent, maybe 50, 50 chance that he won't even be back for this game five coming up. That said, the Grizzlies again, covered again, now 19, six and one without Morant in the lineup against the spread 20 and six straight up. So I think the, I think the, like you said, the Warriors do not have really anything to play for. They're going to get a home game in game six. Let me back up. The Warriors want to win this game. They want to, you know, seal the deal. They want to rest up for the conference finals, but that's not life and death desperation. The Grizzlies are going to come into this game, see a team of the year, you know, coming out of nowhere. They're not going to want this journey to end, this dream season to end. So I expect a big performance. I think Grizzlies' first half, line not out yet, is something to look at. And I also think because of that, this is something I played in game two, Warriors' third quarter might be a play because if they're down, they're going to be a lot better. If, like, for example, they were minus 130 in game two pre-flop in the third quarter. They were down five at halftime. I looked at the third quarter line, minus 190 on the minus line. They went from minus 130 pre-flop to when they were trailing and you knew they had to kick it into turbo to try to get back in the game, minus 190 as a five-point, uh, trailing by five points, not minus 190 just to win the quarter, and they ended up doing that. So that's going to be a play I'm looking at. Both either and or Grizzlies first half, Warriors third quarter. I think the Grizzlies want it more. Grizzlies Warriors, though, are the better team. All right, so let's jump over to our final game here. We have the Milwaukee Bucks at the Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics minus five and a half. We have a total of 214. Uh, the series is tied right now 2-2, headed back to Boston. Guys, we have a triple best bet. This will be the first one we've ever had on the NBA Dream Pod. And we have a special guest. This will be the first special guest ever on the NBA Dream Pod, and we're going to bring in Jay Smoove. Uh, you guys can find him on Twitter at Smoove underscore 702, and you can find him as well 
at pregame.com. Guys, we're going to go ahead. We're going to give you the Boston Celtics minus the five and a half as our triple best bet here. Smooth, I'm going to let you go ahead and rip and run. You are a special guest tonight. You like Boston. What are you thinking? Yeah, Sleepy, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Like you said, it's our triple best bet back in Boston minus the five and a half. And you know, I think, you know, the injury to Chris Middleton is really catching up with the Bucks, uh, especially showed over the last two games uh, in the fourth quarter. You know, they've been outscored 77 to 51, including games three and four. And, you know, you look at this series, the Bucks' only convincing win is that game one when they won by 12 or 13 points uh, on Boston's home court. But you can kind of attribute that to, to some rust, you know, with the long layoff that the Celtics had sweeping the nets. And, you know, the the other one that they had, it was a two-point win when uh, Jason Tatum had an off night going four for 19, but he kind of bounced back in game four with the 30-point night. And, you know, over these last two games, you had the emergence of Al Horford, who's averaging about 26, 12, and four and shooting 60-plus percent from the field and from the three-point line. So I think the Bucks, you know, got a lot on their plate, you know, going back to uh, going back to Boston where they're just one in eight ATS you know, the last 10 meetings and just one in five ATS last six meetings in Boston. So, you know, I really like Boston laying the points here at five and a half. Yeah, I'm with you with the Middleton thing. I think that's the that's going to end up being the uh, kryptonite here for the Milwaukee. They have to be able to shoot threes and they haven't won the three point line. You know, going back to game one, you brought up Al Horford. He's kind of been resurrected. He's looked really good. But Smart's kind of healthy right now, and I feel like Boston's kind of getting their feet underneath them now and saying, you know what, uh, we're the favorites in the East right now, and we need to go out there and play like it. And I think they did that tonight. They could have easily collapsed in the fourth quarter against the Bucks, but they didn't. They went off. They ended up – I think they were down a couple points, and then they ended up being up by like 10. And a lot of that was due to, you know, an entire team effort. It wasn't just one guy. And I feel like Boston going back home – they kind of know the situation that they're in. They already dropped one game to the Bucks, and it's kind of been a tussle. You know, as you mentioned there, Smooth, you know, they haven't shot that great, you know, going into game one. Uh, Tatum looked a little rusty, and I believe it was game three. And I think they put it all together here at home behind that crowd. And I don't think five and a half is going to matter. I think Boston wins this game comfortably. I got them winning this one by double digits. And if the Bucks can't, keep up with the Boston firepower from outside. I think this game starts to get a little lopsided, a little bit sloppy, and maybe we even see a little bit of frustration here, you know, with the with the defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm with you. I'm taking Boston as well, minus the five and a half. McKenzie, you can go ahead and put everything on top of this one. What do you got? To be honest, you guys kind of nailed a lot of my points, which is good because I think we're thinking about this in the same way. And since game one, which I agree with you, Smooth, everything was explaining this game away where it's an early start time. It's against a great defensive team after playing the Nets who didn't play any defense and they had just burned through, you know, what was supposed to be their toughest competition. They came into the game lightly. The Bucks pressured them full court. Drew Holiday has been playing out of his mind defensively and they got shocked. They, uh, Ime Odoka said it after the game, they were caught off guard. They were punched in the mouth and Game two, they played a lot better. They were the better team. They scored 65 in the first half. It wasn't close ever, even though it got a little bit closer down the stretch. Game three, I think, is the key. Because most people came away game three saying, Giannis is the best player in the world. Celtics aren't that aren't ready. Jason Tatum's kind of, you know, kind of not the top five player he's been made out to be. I took almost the exact opposite narrative from that, which is that, yes, 
first of all, Jason Tatum did not show up like a top five player should. And that the Celtics should have won the game anyway. They had the lead late. There was obviously the Marcus Smart shot. And it came down to it where Giannis outperformed. He scored 40 plus. And Tatum only shot four for 19. And the Celtics still should have won. So the question for me in game four was, is Jason Tatum the guy I thought he was? Is he a guy that, like Steph Curry tonight, had a poor game through three quarters, but had no drop-off in his aggression or his confidence in the fourth quarter? And when you're one of the best players in the world, you shouldn't, because that's what your team needs. That's how you close fourth quarters. And when it was all up against it, when the season looked like it was on the brim, like it was hanging on by a string, Celtics entering the fourth quarter down by 10. That was the moment. Put up or shut up. Jason Tatum had been shooting like 6 for 16 at that point, and he showed up in a big way. Not only did he score 10 straight points, hit a few big shots, but he guarded Giannis, and Giannis had only four points in the quarter. Tatum was the better player. If Tatum is close to being the better player in this matchup, like he was in the fourth quarter, like I think he should be you know, later on in their career as they both develop, the rest of these teams aren't close. Without Middleton, the guys they're bringing in to replace Middleton can't play any defense. Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Sivs out there. They're just getting destroyed by the Celtics' wings. I think that's going to continue. I think the Celtics have found something. They've, not, not have they found something, more they've shaken off a kind of a lack of belief that they entered this series with. Now Tatum, I think, is going to grab that mental and be that guy. And I just think they're the better team. What I think is interesting is the line adjustment. Game one, it's four or four and a half. Game two, right around there. Now we're saying the Celtics are five and a half. So it's a one-point line adjustment. Oh, is that too much? I think you're going to get a lot of sharps out there that are playing that snap reaction. Oh, you can't adjust these teams off of one game. I think you can. And not off of one game, but off of the last three games, the Celtics have been the better team. They got unlucky to lose one of those games, but I don't think, honestly, they lose any games. I think they close it out in the next two, especially with a big win with a home team. You're talking about the guys that are replacing Middleton. I don't think they're ready for that game in Boston with that fever pitch crowd. I think Boston wins comfortably. All right, so there you have it, guys. A triple best bet, our first one ever on the NBA Dream Pod. Uh, we're going to go ahead. We're going to back the Boston Celtics minus the five and a half. Before I go ahead and wrap this one up, if you guys want to save money over at pregame.com, uh, go to your coupon code ENTERMAY20. Save yourself 20%. That'll wrap up episode 38 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. Big thanks for Smooth going ahead and jumping on. Big thanks to Mackenzie Rivers as well. You guys know where to find us on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame at Mac and Rivers and at Smooth underscore 702. Hopefully we do well on this podcast that we've been for the last couple of weeks. Mackenzie and I will go ahead and we'll be back later on during the week. Hopefully you guys do well. Enjoy the games. Thank you.